and welcome to the Board Shorts podcast brought to you by Get On Board Australia, the destination for new and aspiring board members and company directors. This podcast is called Board Shorts because boards and governance can sometimes be a really dry topic. And if I can't communicate board and director related concepts and information to you in 30 minutes or less, then I don't think I'm doing it right. I'm Lisa Cook, Founder and Managing Director of Get On Board Australia, and I hope to make this podcast and the information I share valuable and useful to new and aspiring company directors and board members like you. Welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you listening. This episode is part of a regular series on the podcast called Boardroom Insider of the Month. In these episodes, I interview experienced board members to bring you the inside information on how they started their board career, what their opinion is on essential board member skills, the future of the boardroom, their biggest boardroom challenge, and the advice that they have for new and aspiring board members just like you. Today's episode, I talk with Andrea Slattery, a stalwart in governance for over 25 years. For 11 of those years, Andrea has been involved in highly scrutinized, highly regulated and high profile government ASX, commercial and not-for-profit boards, as well as on federal government and regulatory advisory. Andrea started her board career on small not-for-profit community and sporting boards and committees as a volunteer, like many of us do. Since then, She has built her board portfolio and continues to build this and currently sits on the boards of Clean Energy Finance Corporation, Argo Global Listed Infrastructure, Centrepoint Alliance Limited and the South Australian Cricket Association, or as we like to call it, SACA. Andrea now is a full-time non-executive director and keynote speaker. She is a recognized expert in focusing on how businesses can most effectively engage with their customers and clients via multi-channel and new age service and technology models. She was actually the founder and managing director of the Self-Managed Superfund Association. In this episode, Andrea and I talk about the differences in community versus board expectations, how to balance competing interests on a board, why being a good good executive or manager doesn't mean you'll make a good board member, what the future of the boardroom looks like, and how you can get from an executive career to a board career. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you have any questions or requests for future show guests, or even if you've got a burning question that you'd like to have answered from one of our boardroom insiders, please reach out to me via getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining me, Andrew. It's great to have you on the show. Absolute pleasure to join you, Lisa. Thank you. So we're here to talk all about boards and your board career in particular and your experiences and what your view is of boardrooms. So I wanted to kick it off and really get to understand your pathway to the boardroom. Sure. My my pathway to the boardroom has actually been a little bit strange. I started my board career probably before I started my executive career. So when I was at high school, I was um, head prefect, 
was able to enter a boardroom and see what it looked like for the first time and realised that it's quite different from what everybody expects. I then went on to a range of not-for-profit boards and school boards and kindergarten boards and tennis club boards and those sorts of things um, that actually developed my career around those particular areas. Then with work, um, I was in the tax and financial advisory industry, financial services effectively, and I started to be involved in boards both directly and indirectly by helping other people get onto boards. So I, that was my beginning, and I have been on boards most of my life. For the last 26 years, I've been on a range of higher-profile boards, um, and in particular in the last... 11 to 14 years I've been on ASX boards and government boards and I've been on advisory committees to boards um, and most of those have been with the government um, advising right up to the Prime Minister level. Wow. So Andrew, what is the difference between an advisory board and I guess you call it a proper board? Yes. So there's two parts um, often to a board. You've got your main board and then in, in a lot of instances, you've actually got committees or advisory boards that go to them. Um, with the government, you've actually got the government and then you've got advisory boards which actually behave like a board and you're advising the government on certain issues. So, for instance, I was in the Infrastructure and Innovation uh, Partnership um, Advisory Committee to the Prime Minister and also to the Opposition and in those ones, you actually talked about the new opportunities, the new strategies to put in place to actually develop an infrastructure um, vision or strategy for Australia. But in normal boards, you've got your board, which is actually your strategic um, head of your company, and the advisory boards or the committees that actually support them are strategic in nature. So they might be an audit committee or they might... Um, or they're a remuneration committee or a sustainability committee or a people and culture committee where they actually look to do a task outside of the boardroom and more of a deep dive into the strategy and the vision to help to guide the board structurally on decisions that it needs to make. Right. So they're just as important as each other but serve different purposes. Well, the board is the, the, board is the more important, but right. the committee work or the depending on the advisory board purpose or the committee purpose, they can be equally as important, but they actually allow people to have a deeper dive, to have a better understanding, for instance, the audit and the finance. You have a better understanding of the financial capacity of the organisation. You actually make sure that everything is in place. If it's a sustainability committee, you actually look at the future viability of... Um, you know, for instance, if you're in energy, I'm on an energy board, you look at um, the future sustainability of certain aspects of, um, of that for that organisation to function. Right, OK. So I wanted to step back one step and touch on the financial services experience you've had. Sure. And really in light of the Banking Royal Commission and what your view is of... I guess, boards in that sector or in other sectors and around community expectations and whether the behaviours of some of those boards and board members was questionable or whether our expectation as society on the boards to have, I think, the depth and the level of oversight that 
we think they have, is that reasonable? It's a rather big question Mm. and there's a lot of questions within that. So Mm -hmm. let me just try and tackle a couple of them as we go along. In the financial services sector, you have a range of boards that have been um, acting in the best interests of their shareholders. So um, boards strategically look at the future direction, they manage the CEO and they make sure that the vision is being addressed. When you're doing all of that, you've got a range of things that you have to actually abide by. One is, um, you know, you've got to make sure that your, sh- your shareholders looked after, so your share prices and other things are looked after. You have to make sure your strategies looked after, so your consumers are usually your main focus. But in the financial services industry, we've had a number of things where there's been a lack of trust or a lack of connection between what the consumers are expecting they're getting and what the organisations are delivering. It's incumbent upon a board to actually behave in an ethical and honest way, and it's it's also um, important that each board understands the business that they're in, that there's a range of cognitive thinking around the board that is diverse and that you actually bring to the table Issues, So you are game enough to raise issues and that those issues are actually dealt with and your risk is actually um, overlaid over um, what decisions that you make. So what we've seen in the financial services industry is a range of disconnect between what management are doing, what the shareholders' expectations are and what the board decisions are are being made upon. So when shareholders demand excellence and when management delivers information to achieve that excellence but doesn't deliver accurate information in its fullest sense, so the good, the bad and the ugly, Mm -hmm. when it doesn't evaluate everything through a lens that is both strategic and risk-based rather than just risk-based, and when you don't have cognitive thinking around the board to actually challenge what information is coming through Mm. and challenge each other, sometimes there's a disconnect. And what we've seen in the financial services market is a disconnect in some instances, not in all, between looking after the shareholder, looking after the consumer and looking after the business. And what we need to have going forward is people who are actually aware of their responsibility as a board director to be able to make decisions that are in the benefit of the shareholder that make and challenge management to be accountable and to provide the information, to be able to ask the right questions and have the right diversity around the board to be able to make decisions for the future of that company. It's not an easy task. So what we've seen is boards that are looking at material items. They Issues like reputation and brand damage haven't come to the fore through the management of um, their strategy or their shareholders or their risk-based um, evaluations. Their committees that have come through haven't evaluated some of the instances that have come through. And so what we've seen is boards 
have an enormous amount of pressure that most people have are really not aware of, and they haven't haven't been given, I believe, the due consideration of how difficult it is to be a board director. Um, what we hear about is that there are directors that are on boards because they've finished their executive career and now they are taking up a board role. It's quite different between an executive role and a board role. When you're on the board, you actually are in a position of guiding and directing as a group. And you must be able to make that collective um, process through the group. So you provide diverse cognitive thinking and questioning to the task in relation to the strategic direction. And then management is quite a different thing. It's operational, it delivers on the strategy, it delivers on the vision, it manages the organisation to deliver on where the combined opportunity then leads to in the future. What we've seen is a lot of people who are on boards who have been wonderful executives and now they need to change to become less operational and more strategic and it isn't an easy task to do. And so you need people to actually think and drive management, think and understand what the business is doing. Mm. How long do you think it took after you sort of officially started your board career, for you to really get your hands around what it meant to be on a board and have those differences sort of really become clear in your mind? Well, it probably depends on your experience. In my case, it took me a long time to realise the difference between a management position and a board position. Mm -hmm. Um a lot of people don't understand the difference and they behave the same in their management as they do in their board. Whereas it is actually quite different. A board is about working collectively towards a result and then keeping your hands off but guiding. Mm. Management is about taking that advice as well as your own expertise, as well as the expertise of an organisation and delivering on that for a result. Mm. It is actually really important that it works that way. So the board is like a head and the um, management and the executive are like the body, the whole body delivering, but they deliver with the heart. Ah, I like that. Mm. That's a really good analogy. Mm. So with that in mind, what do you think are the essential skills for great board members to have? So I think the essential skills for, for great board members to have are really around the ability to be able to um, ask the right questions, not be shy, not have groupthink, to be somebody that is diverse in your thinking and diverse in your background, somebody that is actually capable of leading in what I would call the true leadership sense. Mm -hmm. So leading and directing, mm -hmm. not leading and hands-on. Um, somebody that actually has the capacity to be able to think clearly in times of stress and times of strain, because it happens to every board director, um, no matter when it is, there's always going to be something that's going to take your time and thought and to be able to decipher between what is important and what is not important is very, very 
important as well. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to have that collective thought to, di to distinguish. A lot of people say that you should have accounting skills or financial skills or legal skills. They are very valuable, very valuable, but you're not on the board for those. You can get that through your committees. You really need to have somebody that's got a, a great capacity for lateral cognitive thought. You need somebody that actually is willing um, and able to lead in strategy, to lead management, to guide management. They are the more important skills, I believe, on a board. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what do you think the future of boardrooms look like? I think the future of boardrooms is going to be interesting because I don't think there's any value placed on a board at the moment. Mm -hmm. And some boards are very good, exceptional, absolutely exceptional. When they work together, they allow a business to function yep. and to effectively be leaders in their market versus a board that is not as well-functioning, um, that is more operational or that, for instance, has some domineering characteristics on the board um, and those ones often you'll find that those businesses aren't as good. So it's a bit like any business. Mm. If you've got the best governance and the best management, you're actually going to be a better organisation going forward. But you need diversity in there and I'm not talking just about gender diversity, I'm talking about diversity of thought, diversity of geography, diversity of background... All of these things actually make up an opportunity to have excellence. But to have that governance, best practice governance through strategy and governance, um, it's in the future I think it's going to look different because I think you're generally going to get people that are actually diverse in a range of different areas. Mm. You're also going to get, I think, um, recognition of being a value-add um, the board is the only part of an organisation that isn't remunerated well and that hasn't in the past necessarily been put together strategically. Mm. It's normally been because somebody thinks they need something, they then work towards getting that, whatever that something is, um, on the board and it might be, you know, we need someone with soft skills or we need somebody with specialist expertise um, and so that concept now, I think, is changing so that we're actually mm. looking for somebody that is strategic, that has good governance, that their background is um, really pure in that area, and then we work towards putting together a team of mm. people that actually can work well as a titular head or as a good, good set of governance that can actually drive strategy and vision. Mm. I think that will also change the way in which they're remunerated and change the value that's added to it. Yeah, absolutely. Who do you think is responsible for putting together a great board? Is it the CEO? Is it the chair? Or is it the board itself? Um, I actually, My firm belief about who should be setting up a good board is actually the chairman in conjunction with their board in conjunction with the CEO. Mm -hmm. um, the CEO should not be the one driving the good board. It should be the chairman. And 
the good chairman working with a good CEO um, will also then develop a good C-suite. Mm-hmm. So there is a way and a pattern in which you must do it. But if you've got the CEO driving it, a lot of the um, cases in America where there's been collapses, it's because it's been driven through the CEO. Um, the CEOs had dominance and um, they have driven driven the board and they're a dominating CEO. You can have chairs that are dominating and that works in reverse where you don't get a good board because you've got a dominating chair. The best board and the best governance is where you've got a good chair who actually works collaboratively with a good board to work out what skills matrix they have, how to actually fill that matrix appropriately and how they can collectively work together. But that also includes making sure that that CEO is part of that parcel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So just segueing, your background is from within financial services. So would you say you have a finance background? Well, this is actually an interesting thing because predominantly I come from the financial services industry, but my background's also been in a range of other areas. So it's been in infrastructure, it's been in um, investments, it's been in in the profession itself, it's been in um, energy, it's been in sport. I am what you will generally refer to as a generalist, not a specialist. So when people talk about my background, they would say, I'm a CPA, I've uh, got a tax background, therefore I'm the finance person on the board. In actual fact, that's not the way somebody should be, like me, should be described, and I don't think it's the way other people should be described. So... I have a good governance background, I have a good leadership background and I have a good ethical background. I have a personal brand that is recognised. I also have a brand um, that I will ask questions and that I will be challenging and that if, if there's something there to be done, that I'll be part of it. Um, some people find that a bit frightening because some board members um, are um, so, some board members are chosen because they won't rock the boat, or yes. because they can maintain um, they can maintain a business. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Other board members are chosen because they are dis- they can transform, and they might disrupt the status quo. So I think when you're looking at your skills mix, you need to also look at what type of board director do you need? Mm. In my instance, I'm normally somebody that can transform an industry. It doesn't matter what industry that might be. So because my background's in financial services, hardly any of my boards are in the financial services Mm. because I can disrupt industry because I have the basics of good governance, good ethics and good leadership. If you are somebody that you wanted to maintain who has a good specialty then they are also very good people for the board and they make a really good mix and they also come come and assist somebody that when you're transforming to make sure that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. So you can have any one of these mixes, but you need to work out what you need yeah. and you need to make sure that it's actually right for you. It's not right because it's the, the model that should be used. Yes. 
everyone always wants a model. <laughs> they do always want a model, and the problem with a model is that you've got a you've got a particular business and mm-hmm. it has particular issues, and you need to make sure that that those business issues are actually well met. Right. So how does how does a board start to identify what sort of board members it needs? What are the the telltale signs or what are the things that they should look to to figure out who they need around the table? I've often thought that you really need to start to look to develop a good board or a good good new director um, at least 12 months, if not two years out. So you start to work out your succession plan. Mm-hmm. You work out who, who might be rotating off. You work out where the business is. You work out what the management skills are and you work out what the skills are that you've got on the board. And then you work out at what point are you in when you're going to appoint this person, say, for the next five to ten years. At what point are you, and therefore what kind of person do you need for that? Mm-hmm. And so working through those skill matrix on the board, it's no, no real difference from picking uh, a CEO... You want somebody to be there long-term. You want them to commit long-term. You should be looking at at least eight to ten years to put somebody on to a board, unless, of course, you're doing something much shorter. So mm-hmm. you might be doing a merger or an acquisition or something, and you know you're doing that in two years, or you know you're listing in two years. So you, you put somebody on specifically for that, and that's a short-term one. But normally it's a long-term, and normally you're looking at the kind of things that you actually need to build the business from a strategic mm-hmm. and governance point of view. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long do you think people should sit on a board for? Um, I think a standard term is around about eight to nine years. Yep. Um, I think if you haven't done what you need to do in that time, then it's possibly time uh, to rotate off, and I think that's a very good rotational time. It's a standard in the market, and I think it's probably quite appropriate. Government boards are normally three to five years, mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just a little bit short um, yeah. at three years, but five years is probably you've probably been able to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once you're starting to get up to twelve to fourteen years, um, it's it's too long unless there's a particular project, a spe- something that's special that requires it. And sometimes some big infrastructure projects or some uh, you know long-term strategy, ten-year mm-hmm. strategies need to be watched and managed and, and they need to have some kind of con- continuity. So you'd need a special circumstance, I think, to go mm. longer than nine or ten years. Yeah, and that would... Because I think in previous conversations you've talked about someone that's been on a board with you that has been there for a long time purely based on that long-term project. Yes. So is that is that then a conscious decision that the, board, the board makes? Yes. Mm. So once again, if you can imagine... The board must be active. Absolutely. The board must know what it's doing. It must guide through governance, guide through ethics, guide through leadership, but it must guide that strategy and it must be directional in the way in which it does it. Mm -hmm. And when you need to be able to bring your your expertise to the board, your expertise to the decision... You need to be able to make that collectively because a board must function as a one. Mm. And so having 
seven, eight or nine people on the board, um, you don't really want more than that because otherwise you cannot really function collectively. Um, some boards have four, five or six mm-hmm. people on the board um, and that's fine, but then it's, it's rather a big load um, for four or five people and so you really do need to start having that collective um, group that can actually bring many skills to the table so that you can actually make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Reflecting back on your board career to date, what do you think has been your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? Um, my, funnily enough, the biggest challenge, I wanted to build a portfolio once I left my executive career um, and I wanted to build a portfolio. The biggest challenge was how was I going to get from an executive career to a full-time board portfolio, even though I've had board roles all the way along when the market knew me only as having an executive career that was public mm-hmm. and it was a, a national and international public face that I had. And to change that, to get onto the board radar, either through the um, search firms or through the chairman and what they were interested in, and to change their thinking from she's just in finance. Mm. She's just in a niche market in finance. Yes, she may have had a national and international role, but she's a disruptor. She's just in a small part of finance. So my biggest challenge has actually been having a the best practice succession to move out of executive role, to move into this role, and then to be able to get in front of people with who I really am, not who they think I am. So how would you do it? Well, it's been a, a combination, lots of coffees and teas, <laughs> uh, lots of meetings, um, lots of um, speaking to people, asking them what sort of things are you looking for, this is who I am, and once you actually meet people, they've got such a surprise at the background and who I am. So many chairs out there are really looking to find good board people. Yep. They really only know who they know. Yep. The search firms, you go to a search firm, the search firm is really only going to remember you if you've had a meeting with them recently. They may remember you at a later time if you've seen them often enough, but you do need to reiterate who you are. You need to let people know who you are and you need to get over the stigma of who they think you are. Mm. So it takes a lot of proactive work to, to get those opportunities to come to you. Yes. The other thing is, I suppose there's been two challenges with that, and there's a secondary part of that, is that once they know who you are, for them to be game enough to take you on. Yes. Because to them, you're untried, whereas they can actually go to somebody else in the market... For instance, if you're looking at a top 100 ASX company to go into or a large private company or even a large government board, if you wanted to get into that area, you really should take two years, two years of helping people understand who you are and not accepting the first things that come to you and actually be game enough uh, to believe in who you are. But then having those people believe who you are and be game enough to take you on is a secondary step. So we've had... There's been such a lot of pressure on boards and on chairmen 
to pick people that the shareholders and the proxy voters will be happy with, mm -hmm. it's a big challenge to take somebody on that is so-called untried yes. in their regime. And when they do, they have found enormous success. But you actually have to have a chair and a board that is actually willing to take that plunge on somebody that is capable or making a discerning call on whether or not they're capable or not as to whether or not they take them on. Mm. Interesting. So is that why so many of boards at that level don't appear to have quite the depth of diversity that you've been talking about is beneficial to boards? I could comment on that because I haven't been in that position um, as a chairman to be able to be making that call or being on, say, the top um, ASX 20 or the top ASX 50 to make that call. But I do know generally that um, when your name gets put forward, it's often experience, right. relevant experience. Have you done, have you gone through the steps? Um, and so it's no different from any other role. Some people take on somebody that's inexperienced and they do mm. well. Mm. Some people take on people that are experienced and they don't do well. I have a long, ta long history of board roles, so I have experience but not experience at that top ASX 20 or 50 mm -hmm. level, and so there's a level of experience that chairs would need to be comfortable with right. to take somebody like me on or somebody that hasn't had that top 100 experience. Right. Do you feel that your previous board experience even when they were on smaller boards, not-for-profit mainly, even those ones you were working in a volunteer capacity. Do you think that all helped? Amazing. It was an amazingly good opportunity to work on small not-for-profits, on big not-for-profits, on charities. To I was a founder of a number of different um, boards and committees and... Um, to have that experience was invaluable mm -hmm. to help you to understand. One of my boards is something that is considered a not-for-profit, but it's actually, um, it's, you know, we got a $565 million grant from the government. Um, we have grown that 16-fold since uh, in the last seven years. Wow. It's, it's a not-for-profit but the enormous opportunity of looking at tripartite agreements between the three levels of government in Australia, tripartite agreements between sporting codes internationally, nationally and the state, to work with other sporting codes, to work with all sorts of sponsorship arrangements and um, media rights arrangements, to work with grassroots sport right through to elite athletes. It's a very complex business mm -hmm. and to be at the board level directing that and restructuring organisations, creating new entities and governing all of those entities, um, very, very complex arrangements and very politically complex mm -hmm. as well to navigate. You have to have really good collective diversity at the board and really good collection of... Um, the board being a one board that makes those decisions mm. to stay true to its future. Yeah, absolutely. So not small potatoes. 
No, you can have small potatoes um, and you can have big potatoes and you can have equally as nasty little little um, quirk, quirks coming along the journey. But um, the value of actually um, working through those strategies and achieving them uh, and achieving excellence is, is fantastic. The camaraderie on the board, you can have a wonderful camaraderie on the board but still have people that actually challenge what's being said, yeah. challenge the status quo, and really challenge for excellence, not just challenge for the sake of it. Yeah, which a lot of, I think, new board members fall into that trap and think that they, they need do. to come in and play hardball and really prove themselves or show that they're tough, but is not productive at the end of the day. Well, I think, I think you need to grow into something. You need to take your time when you're on a new board. You need to make sure that you spend six, nine, 12 months getting to know your, the spot that you play. Getting, you must, one of the things that most people forget is that you must be well prepared for the board. You must do all the reading. You must make sure that you've got the history. You also must challenge... As a board, you must challenge management to deliver board papers that are actually reflective of board papers. They are not management papers regurgitated because whatever comes to the board, you're actually responsible for and you're liable for. And um, they say about 95% of um, collapses of organisations have all had something to do with the papers haven't been um, accurate, they haven't been full, they haven't provided board paper um, papers. They've provided information that has been either half the information, they've left out the bad bits and only given you the good bits, or they've been executive reports handed up to the board. So having a board agenda is really important where you make you have your strategy and your decision-making um, and you spend a lot of your time around that on the board is really important and the information for noting or the uh, less important information is actually left for a latter part of the board meeting. It really makes a difference to how a board functions. Absolutely. That's a bit scary, though, <laughs> to hear that. Um, note for self, make sure I read everything well and ask for more information. <laughs> um, so thinking about yourself, what's the value that you get from your board service? Um, it's in my, in my lifetime, the value that I've always looked for is how can I leave a legacy? Mm -hmm. By being on a board, I get the opportunity of being a leader. I get the opportunity of providing good governance under an ethical framework, provide my experience collectively to an organisation without actually being in the day-to-day. I can leave a legacy via that and you can work really, really hard to leave that legacy mm -hmm. and you can work towards building a better business. Mm. It's very, very enjoyable. Mm, absolutely. Mm. I know that we've talked about some bad sides of being a board member, but what's one negative aspect about being on a board that no one really talks about? Nobody really talks about the hard work Mm -hmm. the amount of work. Nobody yeah. talks about the understanding that you have to have to be able to go to that board to collectively provide input. 
Mm. Um, everybody talks about the fact that it's a board role and it's simple and it's just once a month and it's only a few hours. You actually have... You are providing your brand and your intellectual capacity and your expertise. Very little remuneration and very little recognition, but you're adding value, and that's a lot of work, and that's you have to actually do that work. And nobody really does talk about that. And if you are an experienced board director, you know that it's there, mm. and so that you do it. And I can't tell you the number of times when I've been in meetings or I've been preparing for interviews for new boards when people have said... You've done a lot of homework, haven't you? <laughs> it's it's actually yeah. one of those things where these days board directors do an enormous amount of work. Yeah. And it's not often talked about. Yeah, absolutely. What's one last piece of advice you'd give to our audience of new and aspiring board members? The advice that I'd give to new and aspiring board board members is work out whether or not you really want to be a board director or whether you actually want to be an executive or be part of a team where you are managed by somebody. Being a board director, you are a leader. You are alone and you are exposed. You have to work collectively together with other board directors, but you all work on different boards. And so, therefore, you migrate between different different entities and different collections of board groups. If you are interested in strategic direction, leaving a legacy, having good governance, behaving in an ethical way, go for it. Mm. If you are, in preference, hands-on, wanting to be operational, wanting to drive a business for growth and success, or you would like to be managed because you needed to be guided and you're not interested in making genuine decisions and having to wear whatever responsibility comes from that, then there's no shame in actually being a great executive or a great person in a business. And I think people need to really be able to make that choice in their own mind about where they are in their career. A board career is not for every executive when they're 35. It's not the way to go. It's a long time as a board director. Yes. Do what you want to do not what you think you have to do, but also be guided by who you are and where you are in your stage of life. You can actually be an executive and then at a later stage in life become a board director and that's perfect for you. But do not become a board director if you are not interested in leading and being Mm. alone. Mm. And taking responsibility. And taking responsibility for your decisions, for all your decisions. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. It's been amazing and incredible to talk with you again, as always. Thank you very much, Lisa. Thanks very much for tuning in and listening in on this interview with Andrea Slattery. Hope you gained a lot of information and takeaways for your own personal board career. A quick point to note an apology on the occasional sounds in the background that we had there interrupting our interview. Uh, We had the occasional plane popping over top and also had the gardener make an appearance or two. So thank you very much for your perseverance and understanding. And again, if you've got any questions, requests, anything you'd like covered in a future podcast, reach out to me via getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast. We'll see you in the next episode.